you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Damashek football program available on iTunes and at davedamashek.nfl.com. Now here's your host, Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, football fans. It's your old pal Dave, Dave Damashek. What's going down? I hope all's well wherever you are. Welcome to the Dave Damashek football program, as always, available on iTunes and at nfl.com slash Shek. You know, it occurs to me that about 20 years ago, I remember hearing some talking heads say the NFL season doesn't really start until week 11. And I don't think they were literally saying that it didn't start because those 10 games do count on your record and uh, and how whether or not you get into the playoffs. But now I see what that analyst, who, who I can't remember who it was, I see what he was talking about because we got some juicy ones awaiting us here over the uh, the next few days here. Let's dig into those right now and as a as a little uh, a little uh, table of contents here, we have a guy Heath Evans, of course, played with the Patriots, spent some time in Seattle, played with the Saints. Who always, when I run into him, has some interesting things to say about pro football. Always always has something uh, that is inside that I wouldn't have considered as a guy who really X'd and owed it pretty good with uh, Bill Belichick over the years there and beyond. So he's a fun guy, and we're going to bring him in here to address what he said about Jerry Rice to me a couple. Couple weeks ago, he said that if Jerry Rice were playing right now, he would not be as good a receiver. He would not certainly be held up as the greatest receiver of all time. We'll talk with him about that and hopefully a few other things if we have time for that. Meantime, let's say hello to our main man from uh, who joins us on our second podcast every uh, every week here during the NFL season. You see his power rankings, his weekly picks up on NFL.com. You see him on NFL Network talking fantasy football, and you see his, uh, what is that thing called? What Your pole position thing you do on NFL AM. It's Elliot Harrison. What's the poop, fellow? I love it when you're teasing my my. I forget uh, names. It's resume. not you. I don't uh, remember any. I don't. For some reason, it's like that with people. I resent when I see a person and they give me that blank stare, like I don't know you, it's like we've met seven times, man. Don't I don't give me that business because yeah. I know, and I resent it because I re- I remember all faces. I don't remember people's names. I'm great at character actors. Oh, that actor was in this movie, this movie, and that movie. I couldn't remember their name though. Anyhow, well the the pol- the power rankings and picks are always up under NFL.com/slash Elliot Harrison, but the pole position is kind of a unique thing. Mm-hmm. What's cool about it? We there do... aren't shades of uniqueness. Just for the record, all right. Well, there's either unique. Something by definition is unique, which means it's one of a kind. So it's not kind of unique. Anyway, an, I'm sorry. That's a unique take. Uh, <laughs> but it's on every Wednesday at about six thirty in the morning uh, Pacific time. 
But what's cool about it is we have different guys every single time. I'm always on with different guys. So this week, it was Dante Hall and Tequila Spikes. Mm-hmm. You know, last week we had Jeff Allen of the Kansas City Chiefs. The week before that, we had Delaney Walker. And so when we send these polls out to the fans, it's kind of hear- cool to hear these guys who either on their bye, wa- bye weeks like Delaney was – to hear their take, you know, I even asked Jeff Allen, Chiefs uh, offensive lineman, like which quarterback he'd rather have leading him. And <laughs> Alex Smith was one of the answers, but I was just hoping to bait him just to see if he would just accidentally, you know, have a brain freeze and say, uh, Tom Brady, you know, but um, hey, something that we talked about on the first podcast this week, and I'm curious for your thoughts. You are the greatest Romopologists, uh, <laughs> Romopologist I know. There we go. <clears throat> No, because I saw you tweet it out this week. Some image about some jokey little thing online that said that that it was DeMarcus Ware talking to the other Cowboys defender saying, hey, don't worry, we don't have to try too hard. No matter what happens, it'll get blamed on Romo anyway. And you're like, so true. You wrote back, you, you tweeted it out saying, this is so true kind of thing. And, you know, listen. The defense has gotten beaten up pretty good, so so that doesn't hold much water. But the question that I have is, if – Matthew Stafford. I mean, if Des Bryant can be taken out of a game the way he was on Sunday night by the uh, by by the Saints defense, which no one holds up in comparison with the great defenses of all time, but they completely shut Des Bryant out minus one catch, and Calvin Johnson is productive each and every week. Is okay, well, first of all, shouldn't every defense do to Calvin Johnson and Des Bryant and AJ Green what we saw the Saints do to Des on Sunday, and if Calvin Johnson is being similarly treated by other defenses, then isn't that an indictment of Tony Romo versus Matthew Stafford? Actually, I look at it the other way around. Uh, You know, if you look at Calvin Johnson, he's very, very hard to take out of a football game. We know that. But the Lions have at times been completely one-dimensional. What happened when Calvin Johnson was hurt versus the Packers? The Lions got hammered. They got hammered, okay? Tony Romo does not exclusively look for Dez. He spreads the football around, and he does that better than Matt Stafford. And I hate to break it to you. I know people love Matt Stafford, but Tony Romo's numbers are better than Matt Stafford. Well, that's, that really is okay. the question. I, we, uh, we talked with that with, uh, about that with uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who said, oh, I would take Matt Stafford over Tony Romo any day of the week. I what think do you, most analysts would say that. Uh, but I, th- I think that partially plays into a couple of things. Number one, Stafford's younger. He has better physical tools mm-hmm. than Romo does. And Daniel, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he's looking at it as a scout's take because that's what he does for our media group. He's talking uh, about tomorrow, win a game tomorrow. I don't have a huge problem with that because I think it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. But but look, if you look at if you go to their numbers, if we're just talking about st- statistically speaking here, and you're talking about Des Bryant being taken out of a game, i.e. not putting up statistics – then Tony Romo is the winner. Tony Romo spreads the football around. You don't see guys on the Cowboys. It just doesn't work. Look at Terrence Williams, the rookie out of Baylor. He's had several big catches. they got Cole Beasley making plays. When Detroit doesn't have Calvin Johnson, Matt Stafford does not make Ryan Broyles better. He does not. How many other wide receivers? The only receiver that's been able to produce for them is Nate Burleson, but he's hurt right now. I think. Well, that it really, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not using this as another episode to bash Romo. Rather, I'm, I, I, you, I, I bring it up only off of sort of the the realization that Matt Stafford, in my book, isn't getting enough credit. It's all about Calvin Johnson, and now Reggie Bush is in that offense. But very quietly, the first overall pick out of Georgia a few years back is really emerging as one of the six to nine best quarterbacks in the NFL, which is lofty status. I, I think that's a fair point. I really like Matt Stafford. I said it's very close. Look, neither neither Romo or Stafford has taken their team 
to the promised land. One has the cachet. The other doesn't have the draft cachet. One has the tenure. Romo Stafford doesn't have it yet. But at the end of the day, there's some there's a there's a kind of touch that Stafford can put on the ball that makes it easier for Megatron to make plays, especially a couple of years ago when he had all those touchdown catches. I don't think Stafford ever got enough credit for being able to sidearm or put this weird touch. I mean, he's great. He can back foot it better than any quarterback in the league. You, know, you see Jay Cutler back foot it and it's disaster. Matt Stafford back foots it and he gets a touchdown. So that's why he came in so highly on the debut of Black Tie's body language rankings, which you can go back and listen to from earlier in this week. All right, EH, in a little while, Handsome Hank is going to roll in here and we'll do our Red Challenge flag pick segment and some, like I say, week 11, some really dandy games await our eyeballs here. EH, I'll tell you what's fun for you and me. Two football-loving nerds, you know, from way back. One of the best things about being at the NFL Network, walking the halls each day, is getting to kibitz with guys that play NFL football or played NFL football. Hey, I wonder about this subject. Oh, look who it is. It's Heath Evans. Let's talk to him about that. This is what I like to do. And the other day I was sitting around the uh, the green room there and kibitzing with him about Calvin Johnson, his greatness, how much better he is, trying to quantify how much better he is than Des Bryant or A.J. Green or Brandon Marshall, whoever you think is the second best at the position. And he made an, uh, 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 what I found a fascinating and perhaps scandalous remark to uh, football lovers. Scandalous. Yeah, that's right. First of all, how are you, Heath Evans? What am, a pleasure to see you. I am good. Yeah. You're having, nice and tan. Having fun with you guys. I, well, I mean, I see Elliot around the hallways, as you were talking about, running into people, and he's always so tan. So I've tried to hit the beach. Well, not really the beach. I just kind of lay out in the backyard, but don't tell anybody. Did, and yes, I do use oil. Does anybody, when you see them coming uh, coming towards you or walk into the green room, who you know, one of our colleagues, and it could even be me or Elliot, that they walk into the room and you're like, oh man, this guy. Yeah, Adam Rank. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yep, yep. That's how uh, that's how we feel too. And some of our bosses. <laughs> I think it's funny that you use the word nerds because when I think of Heath, I think of Revenge of the Nerds. Does he remind you of Ogre a little bit? Couldn't you see him being nah, that guy? That's an insult. Like holding somebody. <laughs> Holding like a PA over the like fraternity. Now, here's the story, feet. though. Here's the story about kind of bullying, all right? So mm-hmm. my dad was a Marine, so he taught me to be a bully, but he taught me to be a bully to the bullies. So like mm. the guy that was holding the nerd, bullying the nerd, like I would have been like putting him in a trash can. You know what I mean? So it was always <laughs> acceptable. Like you know, they always tell you it's not right to do wrong in order to do right. Well, my dad didn't really quite preach that in our home. He pro- he preached, hey, if you see someone less fortunate than you being taken advantage of, you go take advantage of the person that's taking advantage of them. I love <laughs> well, that. On behalf of uh, nerds everywhere, thank yeah. you. <laughs> because I'll tell you, some ner- nerds were misinformed by Brady Bunch. You're probably too young to remember this, Heath. But when the Brady Bunch was on, there was an episode where Peter is getting bullied. Or wait, was it Cindy who's getting bullied? And so Peter stands up to the bully. And the Uh, message is, this has been repeated many times over (laughs) in movies and TV shows, which is, hey, just stand up to a bully. They'll back down real quick. They're the biggest cowards of all. Just punch a a bully once in the face. You'll see how quickly they will. Not true. Go ahead and do that in real life and see what happens when you punch the bully. Yeah, then you get get the the crap beaten out of you. I think the definition of bullies are the ones that are like truly just trying to like kind of move their weight around that maybe not the real tough guys, but when you... Maybe kind of misinterpret, is this guy a bully or is this guy a real tough guy? You don't want to punch a tough guy in the face because then he's going to probably punch you back. That's right. But a true bully, most of those guys, yeah, I I would agree with the the philosophy of – Pop them one good time, they'll lay down. It's kind of like the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, when we played them, <laughs> a bunch of high-flying, high-draft-pick front runners. 
punch him in the mouth early in the fourth quarter, game over. We, of course, being the War Eagles, and I uh, wonder if your War Eagles have any shot at Bama this year. You know what? I I um I love Gus Malzahn, the man. I can't. You guys know me. I'm old school offense. I, I hate our offense. I hate watching. It. I don't understand mm-hmm. it. It's not that difficult to me. It's simple run schemes that we do. But um, I just think I don't think we're physically tough enough yet to hold up against this Nick Saban team that we see week in and week out. And you know what, Heath, though? It's going to come back. I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, I watched the Giants-Raiders game. Andre Brown Mm -hmm. gets 30 carries. How do you stop your quarterback from turning the ball over? Run the football. Run the dog on football. Yep, and And you're going to see it come back. Well, that's what we do at Auburn now. I mean, it's kind of – people get the misconception to spread offense. I mean, Gus Malzahn runs the heck out of the ball. I mean, last week, I don't know how many hundreds of yards they had rushing, but they they hit you with their – kind of sweeps their powers their inside zone outside zone it's just all out of these crazy formations and shifts and it's high flying fast moving and yeah it's interesting because that's exactly what stanford power football did to oregon Ooh, high you know you know I, I called that when Derek mason that defensive coordinator there buddy is he should be the next head coach candidate for nfl or college interesting interesting and you know to then bring it to to pros i found it really interesting in the preseason that Akbar Bajabiamila, among others, said that Chip Kelly's offense is going to revolutionize the NFL. Heath Evans, old school fella, mm-hmm. said, ah, listen, this is going to be exposed when he gets here. Right now, we're kind of in between. I do think the Eagles are going to win the division this year, for what that's they, worth. They, they definitely can. I mean, you look at the Giants' schedule on the way out. I mean, they've got some doozies coming up. But, no, I think – but you look at what Foles has done. I mean, the last couple of weeks, there's his opportunistic runs is what I would call them. But that offense changes. And so where Chip Kelly – I think how he got his head coaching job was – you know, he was always able to kind of morph into what his talent was giving him at Oregon. You know, so he has mixed a lot of the wrinkles in. But next year, the challenge for him will be twice as hard. And we've we've seen that across the board for RG3, kind of a point-and-shoot offense last year, ball in, ball out. Colin Kaepernick the same way. These offensive coordinators, head coach, and quarterbacks – have to continue to grow because this league's too smart. It's too tough. NCAA, you know, it's twenty-two hour work week. So you can, if if you got the better athletes, most time you're going to win. Well, here where mm-hmm. you can put in a hundred hours to game plan, yeah, these schemes and stuff at times they're just not going to get it. But done. I will say, Sheck, you've been saying that about the Eagles. Mother Nature did them a favor. I mean, the, the, the Cowboys <laughs> were playing second half against the Saints with eight eight. Eight of their starting eleven down on defense. I mean, you just can't <laughs> yeah. win in the NFL. You can it's, you can overcome injuries, yep. Heath, but you can't overcome eight of your eleven guys. Well, it's kind out. of two years in a row for Dallas. I yeah. mean, Rob. I mean, he'll be the first one to tell us, Rob Bryan. You go to week ten last year. I don't know what the ranks on the defense were, but they were good. And then everyone falls apart. And I I uh, agree on some level with you about that, Elliot. But on the other hand, in twenty thirteen, to me, the story is it's an unpleasant story. We can talk about you know from Chip Kelly's offense to Richie Incognito and all the stuff in between. The story really is that uh, that it's hard to even quantify though. More injuries than I've ever seen, and every team has injuries. I mean, that's it. There is not a team playing that's sort of in pristine shape at this point. Everybody has suffered massive injuries, and so the Cowboys can't use that as an excuse because they're doing exactly what everybody else is up against. You know what? I'm oh sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but please. And I don't want to like bash Nike or Reebok or anyone else because I'm a Nike guy. But all the Achilles injuries, like yeah, th- that's one, that's been an injury that's been around for years. But like the elevated numbers of them, like I just almost like. Hmm. Wonder if it's like you know when we were growing up, you're running around like Converse, like hard-soled shoes, like where your heel is striking the ground right and everything else. Now we've got all these like little air cushions and pockets and all that stuff. I almost wonder if it's not like messing up like the dynamics of your ankle and how your muscles fire on time and everything else. Because 
what else could it be? I mean, cleats only get better, but why Achilles? Like, yeah. I mean, it's like it's everywhere, and it's not just basketball or football. I mean, every sport. I have two theories about it, and I, I'd love to see what you think about the upped injuries. One is banned substances. Absolutely. Uh, guys taking stuff that, that makes their muscles too big for their ligaments and their tendons Tension to on handle. the joints, yep. okay? Uh, second thing is, why don't guys that, that stock boxes at UPS get hurt? Because they're doing the same thing every day. Their muscles become acclimated, i.e. muscle memory. Well, it's not like the old days where they did two days in, in pads in training camp. Now, the practices are so light. They're so soft that then you go play game speed and your muscles just aren't used to that. And you take a hard cut to try to avoid a tackle. Next thing you know, your Achilles is out. I think, my, my, you know what? I say that my answer to that, and Heath obviously knows better than, than I do. But to me, it's just as simple. It's as simple as what everybody always says, bigger, faster, stronger. The uh, metaphor I always use is if you leave your car in the at the grocery store and someone accidentally rolls a a shopping cart into it, it's really not going to do much damage to your car. But if a car, but you know, because it's going eight miles an hour, but if a truck an SUV runs into it going twenty five, there's going to be more <laughs> significant damage. That's the difference. The old players used to be shopping carts. Now the players are That's SUVs. That's true. I think when it comes to broken bones, but when you're talking about yeah. a guy planning and hurting his yeah. Achilles, I don't know that the bigger really gets into that. I I, I honestly, I think I agree with you. I mean, listen, it's you look at a guy in a wheelchair. You know, he's he's cranking that wheelchair all day. His biceps get bigger, bigger, bigger. There's no such thing as you know overworking it. So I, I, I sense, I think we have backed off too much. I understand where Roger Goodell's trying to toe the line on. Okay, we're getting sued from every which angle. We've got to try to find a way to make this game more safe. But I almost think that you've you got a point there in the sense of you got to prepare your body for what's coming. Coaches are scared to even practice tackling anymore because of injuries mm-hmm. and everything else. And so you get in games and you're shoulders aren't prepared i mean when you got injured mid-season and then you'd come back you know two three weeks later you know my first couple years in the league they'd throw you out on the practice field they'd put your shoulder pads and they'd get some practice dummy you know a practice squad player and you'd go beat the tar out of them for 30 40 minutes to get your shoulders and your neck and your hips all ready to kind of waylay people again and now you can't do that because you're so scared that someone's going to get hurt but also the nutritional side of stuff like our food this day and age like and i don't want to go off but i think the concussion issue has much more to do with hydration and how our body heals because of all the processed food and all the crap we're feeding it instead of like when we were kids our milk was milk there wasn't like a whole bunch of crap thrown into it our broccoli was broccoli there probably wasn't pesticides all over everything else and so now like you look at the i think the kind of like the downward spiral of our of our culture period in the sense of the health wise like our genetic freak of nature athletes, they can get by. I mean, Reggie Bush can go eat Sonics and McDonald's and still look like he's a day away from a bodybuilding competition where I can't, but that food still is not allowing his body to heal properly. Where So there's a whole bunch of you know schools for thought. Here's the thing, though. If you're Danny Amendola, okay, uh, yeah. and you're running seven-yard ends in, in, baseball. Okay, in training camp, <laughs> and you got Tequil Spikes there, who's not going to level you because he's your teammate, but he's hitting you because you're in right. pads. That's going to get you a lot more up to speed when somebody does level you on Sunday yes. than doing seven-on-seven seven shells, yeah. okay, which is just jersey and helmets and shorts, yeah. and then going out there in the field. That's too big a discrepancy, I'm saying, between practice speed and game speed and violence. And I, I really think that that is, is a huge part of it. And the other thing is, regarding player safety, Roger Goodell, I've got an easy solution, easy solution. Why not lengthen the five-yard bump zone to 10 yards, Okay. That way, we don't have all these gimme pass interferences, so the defense isn't completely handicapped okay. by all the player safety rules. I like that so far. But you, but you don't get the the launching yourself 
kind of violations and stuff because DBs are given a little more leniency to keep their hands on the receiver, which means they're going to be in closer proximity. Hmm. So you're not going to have these five-yard head starts, Brandon Merriweather, I'm going to – I don't care what yeah. the fine is. Yeah, that's a good point. I think then your only thing is is what do people pay for? I think they like to pay for – see, I'm of the old school where I still think you know most of American society is kind of like they want the Roman gladiators. I think the NFL is the most popular game because it is kind of blood and guts, and they it is people getting way late. It's like people like, ooh, they, they see a gruesome knee injury. They really want to see that knee injury. Like it's like they, it's like I they wonder wanna, about that. Not it, Napoleon McCallum's. Well, it, it uh, that is, was the worst I've ever that, seen. I agree with you. That's I, top three. I, I'm bad. not even sure if I saw that one, but like it is. It's like people want the ferocious, the blood and guts. I, I think that's a lot of why it sells. But no, it's it's an interesting point where you give them a little leeway more in in, in the sense of five more yards to. It's a good school of thought. Take that to Roger. Talk about me. talk about old school. The main reason, and I don't care what anybody else wants to argue, there are a number of issues why the NFL is more popular than anything else. It's fantasy. It's fantasy football. I know that 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 is not old school I, friendly. I can't even argue with you anymore. But it, it. But everyone is obsessed with it. You can be very casual and suddenly completely immersed in the sport because you care about what the skill position guys are doing. Absolutely, I, that's and, a great and you, point. And you have never really had to have played or be involved no. in the game to get involved. Because you can look at numbers online, is, and that's it. Yeah, and you're it, a genius. It, there is kind of that segment of fantasy and reality, which. But someone told me the other day that like 1.1 billion of the nine and a half billion revenue that our league creates is due to fantasy football. So I'm all for it. The more, the merrier. Well, one of the interesting things you were talking about, both of you guys, what you're referring to is proliferation of offense, but. Mm. If fans truly what, like the game to be, hey Dave, what's proliferation mean? I just he uses, fa- he uses them fancy words. I'm from Pittsburgh. I yeah, I oh, love it. Keep going, buddy. That's all right. I'm, I can, I'm, I'm, playing. I'm, used I'm to, playing. I'm used to Elliot Harishek. That's what we call it when he does that. It's fantastic. Uh, I'll tell you though, if fans love the opening up of the passing game, which is what we've always heard, let's just take my little ten yard bump zone theory. Now you don't get that little uncontested none yard out. Is that really is that really exciting to you? Get you get more high flying routes. Yeah, you I get see. more vertical throws because quarterbacks are like, look, I don't have that gimme slant yeah. anymore. I don't. I mean, that's contested. So I'm going to go ahead and take that that deep seam shot. I'm going to take that that you know 15 yard skinny post or, or whatever. Yeah. Isn't that more exciting to fans? The well, it's drop? funny. Our pal uh, Bucky Brooks likes to point out that Peyton Manning and uh, that Denver offense for all the points it puts up, it's it's all bubble screens, and it really is. If you yeah. watch it, it's phenomenal that they suddenly can put up 21 points, but it's not in the execution. I'd much rather watch Aaron Rodgers do his thing well, than I'd watch the way the it's, Broncos it's do It's in it. a different style of execution. Yeah. I think Bucky would even agree with this in the sense that what Peyton does pre-snap is the execution of what he's doing. He's going to manipulate his protection. He's going to basically say, this is going to be one of two coverages based on your preset alignment, based on my formation, the way you guys originally lined up. You can only do one of a couple things. He determines that stuff lightning fast, and then he puts himself in a play where he says, I can throw this bubble screen or I can throw this little X in or you know, one of our old-school West Coast concepts that's a very timing, rhythmic route. And so, yeah, does, does he wow you with his arm strength or wow you with like precision throws? Not so much anymore. He doesn't even throw a spiral. But, but what he like, – <laughs> It's crazy I, how wobbly I, I his would passes argue, are. I would argue that – there's like Colin Kaepernick can throw every ball that Aaron Rodgers can throw, but yet he can't do everything mentally that Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers can do. Yeah. What Peyton does mentally, there's Brady's there, Breeze is there, um, and I, I don't. I'm that not, might be I, it. I, I think that is it. 
You know, and so like that's where I look from like the old school, like you know, you get in New England's offense, and you got to know everything, to, or otherwise Bill's not even going to put you on the field. Like that's the level of offense that I kind of appreciate. So skill set, I mean, Cam and RG three and Colin and Flacco's arm strength. It's, yeah, I can get amazed with that stuff. But like, there's a lot of guys that can throw the ball like that. There's very few guys that in a 10, 12 second window of time can get up there and be like. Okay, I know what you're doing. Here's my play. It's going to beat you 90% of the time. That's the wow factor to me. All right. I, I man, I could we could really go on for at least uh, the next few hours with uh, with you Heath. It's always I have said this to you before. I say it again. There are a lot of ex players and it's not to diminish. I love all the guys that uh, that I get the kibitz with here. You though are a cut above in the sense that you clearly do your homework in an ongoing basis. You really love talking the X's and O's and have a like. I think it's it has something to do with the Belichick. Years. It's, it's the something. Only... It's the Belichick effect, well, though. We've talked about that. That you had to be as a player. You had to know at not just your role, but you yeah. had to know what every guy in the field was responsible for. Yeah. And this has given you a heightened sense of the game well, overall. It's the way you survived. I mean, I was never the best athlete. I think for a fullback realm, I was never the best blocker, and I was probably the never the best best athlete but I was just kind of really good at everything I did and so I was able to survive for 10 years but when I got to Bill year five you know he kind of kind of put me in my box where I was most comfortable and then taught me everything I needed to know and I got away from the Mike Holmgren of hey go try to be you know um doggone Max Strong or you know some of the old you know Mm -hmm. fullbacks that just ran through everybody well I just wasn't gifted to do that you know and so Bill kind of set me free in the sense of Hey, we're gonna everything you do well. We're gonna put you in that, and everything you can't do, we're never gonna ask you to do. And so those X's and O's paid huge dividends for we, me. We got to get you and Willie McGinnis in here and do a Patriots specific inside out. Ooh. We did it a while ago where we sat down. You tell us what goes on in the locker room. You and Willie focused on this Patriots dynasty or pseudo dynasty or whatever we want to call it. All right, real quick, I want to talk to you about something that uh, the reason that I really wanted you in here was a couple weeks ago. Calvin Johnson, Jerry Des Bryant, date one. Well, first, Rice. it's, Just it's get all to Jerry all, Rice. All right, it's all about Des Bryant versus Calvin Johnson, and we're trying to figure out how much better is Calvin Johnson than Des and the rest of the league. And I said, you know, listen, I think Calvin Johnson right now is the second best wide receiver in the history of football, or at least in the modern era, because I don't care about what Don Hudson did in the 30s, being defended by guys who have my basic physical abilities, um, which is Cal- special. In a way, yeah, in a way, because you know what you can't teach is grit, and that's what I got in spades. <laughs> and a cookie belly. Now, let, don't, I'm not interested. game is not played in Studio 66. No one asked you, Steve Smith. Now, listen, Heath, so you said, I said he's the second best player, and he is on track to be maybe break all of Jerry Rice's records. He just won't get with the exception of the touchdowns thing. And you said, what about Jerry Rice? Well, I just said that if you put him in today's game – it's hard to speculate would he have dominated the same way. No, you didn't it, say it would be hard to speculate. You speculated. Well, I just think if you look at his skill set and then put it again, his best skill set in his prime, and then you put it in today's game, and it's not knocking Jerry Rice because talking about players that revolutionized the game. Him mm-hmm. and Joe Montana wowed us for a decade, you know? But if you if you kind of spin this thing forward – Jerry was the consummate pro, so all the the mental stuff that he would be more demands on him, he'd get all that stuff. He'd outwork everybody, all the the different concepts, not a problem mentally. But physically, I mean, 
the ability to separate, we talk about all the time, and you guys probably look at it just even in, in the fantasy world of like, okay, hey, the matchups this week, this bigger corner, the speedier wide receiver, okay, there's going to be separation. This might lead to a bigger game for this quarterback. And so it's all that speculation. So, But if you look at Jerry's, Jerry Rice's skill set and the way that he moved and the way he did things, and then you take that peak performance and put it in today's game, you know, I'm not saying the yards and production might well, I am because it's a pass-happy league, and so people's natural comment to be would, oh, well, do we throw the ball so much more, and it's easier to throw. Absolutely. Jerry Rice would take much fewer hits. But we, the Darrell Revises, you know, um, there's just a different world of defensive football that we play this day and age where, you know, when Jerry was playing, you'd have one, you'd have one coverage. Okay, this is coverage one. Well, now we, we live in a world where, you know, Jerry might see one coverage on his side of the field and then the other side of the field where he's getting ready to run his skinny, his skinny post, that coverage is going to change mid-stride for him. So there's just hmm. all these different demands that, you know, w- would his speed, um, his hands will never be in question. His understanding of the game would never be in question. But, you know, our DBs this day and age and, and what is the athletic realm – it's just such a far cry difference. I mean, I, I played with Jerry his last year when he came to Seattle. Never met anybody like him. The way he was teaching our young guys. I mean, he's forgotten more football than I've ever known. But you've got to spin this thing forward in the sense of the athletic realm of where we play now versus the DBs he was playing against then. I just wonder. I mean, if you – like any one of those guys you mentioned, even Larry Fitzgerald, Dez, any of these guys, if we put their – best physical attributes next to Jerry, they would win by a, a landslide. EH, you want to weigh in? Because yeah. I'm trying to uh, – there are a number of things I could do as a devil's advocate with that. Throw them you, out. Okay, well, first of all, his speed. Well, he wasn't fast at the time. That would yeah. be more of a liability now yeah. is what you're saying. Well, and Wes Welker's not all that fast either but still gets open. Right. So, yep. And then the other thing that you said when we when we first talked about this was – that Jerry Rice at the time was considered a big receiver. Now he would be his his dimensions would be pedestrian at best. In yeah. fact, maybe even be subpar because he a went little, about two ten. Yeah, and, and he would be about average. Uh, you know, I disagree with you, and I'm going to tell Most you why. Do. I, I want to tell you why I disagree with you, and it may be on a different point. When Jerry Rice, when people point to T.O., like, hey, once T.O. got going, it took T.O. five years before he supplanted Rice as the number one target there. Jerry Rice was 37 years old. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> most guys are five years retired at 37. Yeah, you know, there yep. are very few guys like Jimmy Smith and guys that can play well into their 30s right. and still be in the top of their game. That's the first thing. Second thing, I don't think that precise route running ever goes out of style. If the no. corner doesn't know whether you're running a post or an out, if everything looks the same, yeah. it, you're, you're always going to win. And then the last but thing. But acceleration out of the break is is the, our speed of this. So, like, Absolutely. I, agree. I don't know if anyone's ever run better routes than him. Yeah, you know he, what I mean? And he never ran faster than a four five nine. That's his fastest time yeah. well, ever. And ever. that was going up against the likes of <clears throat> Deion Sanders. But the uh, the counter to that is Darrell Revis and Richard Sherman okay. and guys like that would probably be able to physically okay. manhandle him off the line. No? He he was so technically sound, which is what Elliot's pointing to, that I don't even necessarily give it that. I just think about, like, you watch – you go back and watch those tapes. There's just this degree of separation on so many catches, you know. Mm-hmm. And we can never doubt the hands. We can never doubt that the skill to judge where the ball was going to land and to run under a ball. That's what run. he would do. He you never saw him. The thing yeah. I've said to Jerry yeah. Rice is he and Eric Dickerson both. You never saw them 
appear to make effort. And and in a way, yeah. it almost diminishes them both. I never once can recall – I can't recall Jerry Rice diving at, on the fingertips to catch a ball or Eric Dickerson lunging and busting, you know, to, to get that – it just seemed like they were always upright, running in that super well, – you know, that it, super upright style. The most amazing thing about Jerry is you never saw his hands come out early. Like his – this is where I think Randy hmm. Moss would be the only one that you could compare to him in the sense of ball skills. Like they would run till that last blink of a second, and then they would adjust their hips and their shoulders and then snag the hand. Like, and they would almost pin the defender's body away from them in such a way, knowing what they could do at the last second where the defender – and I've never seen anyone. And in my mind, Randy and, and Jerry are the only ones that have ever had that type of down-in and down-out down precision to – I think manipulate a defender in the sense of okay, at the last second I'm going to lean and catch this. But give me your last point, unless I already I've interrupted you. No, I, it's okay. It's just one thing that I that Kurt Warner and I had this discussion when all these guys, including Kyle, Kyle Horton, <laughs> were going for big time passing yards. And I said, I told Kurt, I said, Dan Marino's '84 season will always be more impressive. And he said, Well, those guys they were all playing man. Yeah, you're right. They were playing man. My guy beat your guy. But here's the thing. The guys in the 80s were a heck of a lot better at playing man coverage than the guys are now because the guys now that play DB, they played zone in high school, they play zone in college, they play zone now, and they get left out on an island and they look like Mike Jenkins. Those I, guys, I would agree for the most part. Yeah, those yeah. guys that played in the 80s, Lester Hayes or whatever, they came up through college. You were on an island 90% of the time all throughout the pros. So their ability to come up on you on the line and stay with your belly the whole time, I think is way better than these guys that are all scheme guys now, with exceptions like a Richard Sherman who's big or maybe Cromartie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, there's just a difference. You know how they always talk about quarterbacks, uh, that now kids in high school are playing in the spread. So when they come to the pros, they're all ready to go out of shotgun and do that. Yeah. Same thing with the DBs. Back then, if you're playing man your whole life, you're going to be better at it when you're older. It's that Absolutely. simple. Absolutely. All right. So last thing is, uh, Heath, because you got to go do your fancy TV stuff. Um, but uh, but real, but but to finish the the wide receiver thing. So if I can extrapolate what we're saying, Calvin Johnson is the best receiver of all time. I think if I was. Uh, I mean, not it, just not just for what he looks like when you look at him at the combine, but then combined with what he's done thus far, at least barring an injury that devastates in the next three years, does he go down as the best of all time? I would, I would just say this: you look at Calvin's numbers, even without Stafford, he's just that receiver that there, any quarterback in the league can throw the balls that he can catch, and there's just not much you can do about him. Like we we were kind of spoiled with Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Joe Montana's hand down one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. I would ask myself always, devil's advocate, put Jerry in a different offense hmm. with an average quarterback because we have seen Calvin with very average quarterbacks dominate games. And so those are things that there is no right or wrong answer. They're just the way I think about things. You know, um, Barry Sanders. There's easy to make him the best running back to ever play the game because he played with an atrocious. You know, surrounding cast at times. No offense to anybody that played with him because I couldn't name any of them. But we just know that team wasn't very good, and yet he dominated. You know, so there's always just ways to spin it. I always just try to look at it in the sense of, okay, what's the one like? Can you put this player in any offense and he will dominate no matter what? Can you put this quarterback in any offense and he will find a way to dominate the game no matter what? You know, and the truth is, like with. Brady, Breeze, Peyton Manning, um, a few of the Rodgers, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. but, but if you took you know, RG3, as talented as he is, and 
Collin and some of these other as talented as they are, if you threw them into the mental demands of these other offenses, mm-hmm. they they wouldn't look bad. They would look awful, you know. And that's just the truth. I don't want to get into a whole different yeah. subject, but for the record, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have both benefited for the almost the entirety of their respective careers from almost pristine protection. Not the, rarely have either okay. one of them had to go so, for any amount of time so you, with, you, with, you, uh, under heavy decision-making. I understand you. that's and, more and, true with and, Peyton, and, not and, as much with Brady, though. But well, we've you always see these guys are the ones determining the protection at the line of scrimmage. So when Peyton leaves, what did that offensive line look like? And we've seen the struggles this year with some of the mixed-matched offensive line guys keeping pace with Brady, getting them into the right protection. So, hmm. listen, if, if you want to take talent pool, you know, you could take Logan Mankins and, and Matt Light and even Dan Copen, and you know, I think he made a Pro Bowl or two, and, you know, look at that left side. Steve Neal was a very good guard but always kind of hurt, you know, Nick Cage. Like, you, you, could, you could take a whole bunch of other offensive lines across the league and say, we'll have that offensive line instead hmm. of this one. Those offensive lines were smart for their quarterback's demands. And when they bought in and they were studied up, they it's, it's no offense to these guys because Logan Mankins is hands down, I would argue, one of the best guards to ever play the game. You know, he can do it all. He's smart. He's tough. He pass protects. He can run block. He can maul you. He can finesse you. Um, it is what it is. But it's, those things go back to the quarterback as well, you know? Yeah. You know what, though, as a contributor to DDFP and a longtime listener, that's the first time Stephen Neal's name's ever been mentioned on the show. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to point that out. Hey, I, I want to say one thing about Tom wrestler. Brady. Yeah, about Tom Brady. When did Tom Brady have his best year statistically? Statistically, when did the Patriots' offense have their best year? Well, I mean, numbers wise, it'd be oh seven, oh seven, oh eight. He got hurt. Who yeah. was the one in that offense in oh seven? Uh, well, if we had one, it'd be Randy Moss. Right, Calvin Johnson. The thing that makes him great is he's focused. But if you got one play and you have a focused Randy Moss or a focused Calvin Johnson, I'll take Randy Moss. I think he's the scariest wide receiver to ever play the game hmm. when he was focused. And if, and if you take any DB that played against Randy and has played against Calvin, there'll be a few of them. I, I think they'd, they'd probably say the same thing. Wow, that's interesting. But you can't separate uh, No, that's part of what of makes focus. a player great. Right. Yeah, you can't separate of, that but, any more than but, you can, like, that he's three inches tall. And this is, just, that's part like, of him. Randy Moss, I will defend to the hilt because there's just certain personalities that have to be around winners. Um, and when you see lackadaisical nonsense, I think it, it can drive certain people nuts and they don't know quite how to handle it. Like when Randy Moss and I would train together, like if you came out and other players or other you know players from around the league, like if they weren't dialed in, he would kick them out. You know, it's like he doesn't handle um, a a loser environment very well. And so his days in Oakland would be oh he's taking plays off, he's this, he's that. It, was it right the way he handled things? No, you know certain things that you know happened when he went back to Minnesota. I can see Randy Moss sitting in after he kind of had his way out of New England, which wasn't a right way to, to go about things. He goes to Minnesota. I can see him sitting in an offensive meeting trying to add input like he did in New England to Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, and all these guys, Billy O'Brien, and being listened to, and then things being adjusted to the football knowledge that existed in his mind. And then I can see him going to Minnesota and trying to do that, and Brad Childers being like, no, no, I got this. I'm the head coach, hmm. and I'm doing this. So, like, there's like right, wrong, or indifferent, Randy Moss is a, is a flat-out champion on and off the field. And so I'm going to end it with this story right here. One of my charity golf tournaments brought Randy, Wes, Vince Wilfork, Mr. Kraft, the whole crew down here. This will forever change your mind about Randy Moss. Um, we're at the Breakers down in Palm Beach. One of the, the cart ladies, I don't know their proper name. They bring by the drinks and the chips and everything. 
this woman had to be literally 12 and a half months pregnant. Dave, that means that she should have popped a couple months ago. <laughs> I got you. So she, she I've comes met a in, girl or two in yeah, my life. So, you know, Randy's like, girl, you know, he's got a dip in his mouth, a boyfriend. You, you can't be out here. Dr. Moss is just taking over. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, sir, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's too hot. It's the summer. You've got to get out of here. You know, sir, I'm, I'm okay. I just I need to work as long as I can to you know provide, blah, blah, blah. You just can't be out here in this heat. He would not leave this woman alone. And she's like, "Sir, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I got to work. What can I get you?" And he literally, and one of my donors, you know, the donors, for, they're all multimillionaires. So when he said he whipped out a wad of hundred dollar bills, Randy whipped out a wad of hundred dollar bills, handed it to this cart lady, and told her to go home. You know, like those are the stories people love to bash him for fake mooning the Green Bay crowd and you know whatever else he did. But Randy Moss. I'd go to war with him, for him, every single day of the week. One of the best human beings there is, in my opinion. Very guarded, because I think he's been wounded somewhere in life. But when you're in, you're in, and he'd do anything in the world for you. So. Black tie, we got to get more Heath Evans. Hey. Make it so. See, he has great stories, little <laughs> tidbits like this. Heath Evans, the next time, because I'm not going to hold you up today. But the other thing I wanted to get to, and we got too caught up with X's and O's, I want to talk to you about because because another theory I have is that home field has never been more important than it is in the NFC in 2013 because of the Saints or Seahawks and both of them Huge. are on track to be the home field favorites. I mean the the two home field uh, teams in the NFC this year. What you think about that? Having been obviously with the Saints and having been up in uh, Seattle, you you had some good anecdotes about that. But well, but that's a tease for a future podcast. For right now, week? Heath, I don't know who's when. on next week. What, if you're back well, in, just, you I mean, exclusive. I, I didn't know this was this I'm much here. fun. Heath Evans you know, is on next week. We, we don't have I mean, commercial breaks, Heath. I, I, we don't have anything great, to do. You know what I mean, I need to get a this is, is this radio. I need to get a radio gig. No we, interruptions no, from no. Darren Sharper, Dan yeah, Helly. Exactly. This is all Heath all the time. Let's do it. I'm actually Listen. looking for a new job, so Heath, we can hook up and uh, start a new podcast. Done I don't deal. even know what what. I, uh, all right, you know what? That did, did goes I just, too did far. Did I just replace you? You could do it with Larry Sinners and Lorenzo Neal and Max Strong and. Like Larry Sinners. Like, that's what I was talking about. Larry Larry Sinners was never that good of a route runner or receiver. But, you know, I I was close. And then you got Lorenzo Neal, never that good a blocker. But you know what? I could do some of that. So just a happy medium type guy. I I like it. Touchdown Tommy Vardell. Uh, You know what? Leroy Horde, bowling ball. Full backs on football. That's a a, a good one. Let's do that. Both those Super Bowl teams last year had very active full backs. That's right. Just people. Bruce Miller. You know what I mean? Bartolich. We have a lot of of meat left on the bone with Evans here. We gotta get we gotta get some more SEC talk. We gotta see what he thinks about Bama. I'd love to hear what it's like to be they the second Auburn is great, but imagine being the second biggest dog in in the state of Alabama. That's the only place where it wouldn't be good to be uh, to, to be a war eagle. You know that. Get into that. Get into this uh, home field advantage thing. Boy, terrific stuff out of him. I really yep. enjoy him quite a bit. I loved it, and I, I love talking about some of the things that you know we don't always cover here at the network or on dot com podcasts. Is like uh, practice routines and things like that. That insider stuff, and like maybe maybe things need to be tweaked. You know, maybe maybe teams don't know it all these days, and maybe they can learn something from the past. And I think Heath's really good at touching. Oh, on I thought you were saying kind of that, that the way the network operates needs to be tweaked because of the way we're doing things on the Dave Damashek <laughs> football program. <laughs> oh. And if that is what you, you don't have to laugh and say no. I think you could say, "Hey, you're onto something, Damashek." Hey, it's not the first time we've had a talent or player come in and be like, "Hey, 
They would much rather do this and do TV. I'm, because it's, you it's, only it's get to talk for 90 seconds on TV. Yep. It's it's fun. I mean, you know, you, it's good for va- if you're vain because you get to sit there and get makeup put on your punum and you put on a fancy suit. and they, Oh, you ready, Mr. Oh, you look good. Oh, I like how your hair looks. That tie is terrific and all that. Kibitzing in the white hot light. Yeah, it's good for your ego. But listen, this is where it's at. This is where you get to speak. I like the guests that you have. What are you going to get like Von Hayes and R.J. Reynolds on here? Von Hayes, R.J. Reynolds. This is a football show, friend. We're not talking about Pennsylvania baseball. I'm just saying. Von Hayes, number nine. I was like, I, I, I like Von <laughs> you Hayes. You light up immediately. I don't love uh, – R.J. Reynolds was – Great pinch hitter well, for I your Pirates. Well, he was more than that. He was a center fielder in the early days of Jimmy Leland. A big trade that people forget is that the Pirates traded – to get R.J. Reynolds. No, no, no. You don't hit the sound to stop the cover. I just want to say, I haven't used the inception horn for a while, and I, I think this true. is a good time. All as right, we'll stop. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm trying to think of what the trade was. They got from the Dodgers, R.J. Reynolds, Jim got the relief pitcher, the, mm-hmm. the uh, plus-sized relief pitcher, and I can't remember who else it was. All right, we'll stop talking about that. Look who's coming through the door in Studio 66 right now. All the way from England, it is Handsome Hank. He's handsome Hank from England, handsome from England. He's handsome Hank from England, handsome from England. He's handsome Hank from England, handsome from England. His name is Handsome Hank. He's handsome Hank, he's handsome Hank, he's handsome Hank. Hello, handsome, how are you? I'm very well indeed, thank you, Dave. You look great today, I like your shirt. Do I? Yeah, you do. Why I like you? your shirt today. Why do you like this one? I of like all your my... shirt. Elliot looks like he's dressed as Glengarry Glen Ross, that great sort of uh, 80s, 90s trader, trading movie. He's uh, Yeah, he's, he's sort of, he, he's he wearing looks... a suit, but he's haggard. Yeah, he's got he's the haggard. sleeves he's like he's rolled up. He's had a long up. day on Wall Street. Tie uh, undone just so, the beard is great. By the way, no one mentioned, is it really that bad? I shaved for, for my kids to see. Uh, my, well, actually, Jean-Claude Van Damascheck specifically, he always wants me to grow a mustache. Right. Um, but uh, but his grandmother, my mother, Mo, Momo, says like, he always reminds, like my, my daughter always says like, no, no, dad, dad, Momo says you're not allowed to have a mustache. And so I'm always outvoted on that. Right. But I just, you know, it's Movember or whatever they call it. So I decided to shave it into a mustache. What do you think? Can you I, see I it? I can see it now that you pointed it what out. What do you think? I can see it. It's, I, it's not, it's, I don't think it's for you. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep it for a few I more like, days you know, and see. I, normally, you you don't you don't shave that often, I don't think. So it's not it's not that apparent. But now that you've pointed it out, I see. Do I look good? E H. It's it's a little French painter mixed with I drive a mini truck. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> French painter. You're not you're not at risk. There are a few people in November where you're like, wow, do not go anywhere near a school because things are going. Joe get, Flacco get bad was for one you. of those. Mine is more rugged though. Mine isn't pencil thin. That's what makes a French artist. I want to throw something out to you, though, go ahead. dude. Before we had Heath in here. You probed me about Matt Stafford and Tony Romo, and we were talking about supporting cast and Calvin right. Johnson. Forget Romo versus Stafford. How about Phillip Rivers? Because talk about a guy that's had to spread the football around and hasn't really had a great supporting cast in the receiver department. He had Vincent Jackson for a few years. He left. He's had Antonio Gates part of the time when Gates has been able to stay healthy, but most of the guys he's been throwing to, I mean, you look at Romo, he had T.O., he even had Terry Glenn for a little while. He's, you know, he's got Des Bryant now. Obviously, Stafford has Calvin Johnson. I think Phillip Rivers really is the one that gets the raw deal from an overall career perspective. That's interesting. Very early on, we're a season and a half to, into RG3's career. But of the group of young 
quarterbacks, he has the worst receivers. Pierre Garçon is held up as their number one, and he does look pretty good when he's on the field. But that's he's a two. That yeah, that's not a, a gaggle of impressive pass catchers there. That's a that's a pretty good one. I I, I guess I you know what I hate to say it, but only because I know then people will accuse me of being a homer. But Ben Roethlisberger hasn't had gangbusters receivers. Heinz Ward was great, and I do think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But I don't think he was a, a bona fide number one. Plexico Burris very early on in, in Roethlisberger's career. Heath Miller is regarded highly in the football world because he's the so-called complete tight end. But he's not a dynamite pass catching. He's not a, a game-breaking pass catcher. So, I, you know, I think maybe he deserves. You know, I'll tell you another guy, Donovan McNabb. You know, he had the one year with uh, Terrell Owens. And the thing that hurts our perception of Donovan McNabb and whether he'll wind up in the Hall of Fame and everything is because he got fat in the last couple of years. He got fat, and he all of a sudden, I mean, he – I always say when most guys go, when it goes for most guys, it just goes overnight. They, it's not like, oh, well, they're not as good. They all of a sudden, you say, wow, that guy stinks suddenly. With McNabb, it was, it was, it maybe it was like between second and third down one game. I don't know what happened. <laughs> he just stunk all of a sudden. But anyway, they would go to the NFC title game year after year after year. And Brian Westbrook is is the unsung hero and all that sort of thing. But think about the guys who he had to throw uh, to. Todd Pinkston. James Thrash. I mean, what? That was Mitchell. They had, uh, Chad Lewis. That right was it. Chad Lewis at tight end. Um, gosh. That's one of Jeff the worst Thomason. collections ever. And it, then the, and not bad. and not by and not by coincidence, they do get to the Super Bowl the one year T.O. is there. I know he didn't play in the title game, but still, I mean, that, I, I think McNabb deserves a little more due than what he seems to get I, right I, now. I think I think that's uh, fair as well. And, and your point on Roethlisberger, I don't think you're being a homer. I think the problem for him is that he never had Plax, Heath, and Ward together at the same time because that would have been a nice championship triumvirate right there. No, because Plax went to the Giants. They I believe, in 05. And I believe Heath Miller didn't uh, get maybe good. Heath Miller would have been a rookie. If they overlapped, it I think was one year. I think is yeah. when Heath uh, comes into the league. Anyway, all right, fellas. So let's kibitz. Let's talk about – by the way, Handsome, how did you like this week's uh, Sheck slash Shame report? I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, because I, and I think I think it's not a coincidence that you offered one of the nominees this week, and it was a keen one. I encourage you, Nate Demand, go to NFL.com slash Sheck, S-H-E-K, and check it out. The uh, contribution that Handsome made this week – was uh, it, it's interesting. Apparently, I say I'm completely missed this. When they do the coin flip before the overtime, two straight weeks has happened. The Ravens played the Bengals in overtime, and it, it's in Baltimore. And the referee comes out and he says, "Heads is a Raven, tails is whatever." And tails the week, is just a, is just a tail. Yeah, and then and then the <laughs> week, and then the other one was, "Oh, the Chargers are in D.C." and they say, "Well, the head is a red skin, and the tail is a tail, whatever." Well, 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 that's not you're not but giving then because the visiting team gets to make they the have choice. To vote, right? They they get to choose. Who's going to choose? Who's going to choose? Oh yeah, it's I'll not take, a choice I'll take a at red all. Skin. Yeah, it's I, no choice whatsoever. I you know, I would, but you saying that it just makes me think of the play that Hedebo made to tip the ball up to AJ Green. I felt bad for him. They kept showing that on the on the replay shows to, to force the overtime. Mm-hmm. And they play it in super slow motion, but you play that at full speed. The guy just sees a blur of a ball, and he just yeah, just reacting to, to, I mean, to rea- almost you know, to keep it from hitting him in I the face. It. Exactly. It's like his kind of movement. They, they slowed it down so much that you could see the Ravens fans in the background, even before AJ Green had caught it. You saw these Ravens fans going from like we won to. Oh yeah, no. because the ball ended up getting tipped up yeah, so, so high. high. Right. But I, I thought they were really bad for that. Guy. I thought there was zero dignity in Andy Dalton running down the field with uh, oh. a finger pointed high. Listen, you just got lucky, pal. Let's he, let's call. He, and we, he played. We need a penalty. 
against that. He did not play well at all for the um, second week in a row. But yes, I, this coin thing, and then it made me think, handsome, to to you know to the larger point. Why is it if you are if your mascot is a tailed beast, why wouldn't you always call tails? Shouldn't that be part of your thing? Uh, it could be. I oh, mean, it's the, a good idea. Oh, we're the lions. Oh, we're the lions. We so, have tails. Obviously, we talked. Uh, obviously, tails. tails is the answer. The problem you know? is they also have heads as well. Mm, I hadn't considered that part of it. All has right, it, listen. Has, has, TD seen, uh, has TD seen red tails? That's too. That's too recent. Sorry. Red tails. That's <laughs> you haven't a even tough seen one. red tails. Think of a I good one. You know, I, I'll tell you what he hasn't seen is what we assigned to him two weeks ago. Godfather. It's not like that's a chore. That's a wonderful movie, and you still in your busy schedule you can't find a three hour window to drink in one of the great pictures of all time. Like I said, guys, a lot of a lot of times it's just about finding that three hour time slot. Right. A lot of times I tend to watch more TV shows, but Godfather is at the top of my list, and once I get to it, you guys shall be made aware. All right. Can we well, get some picks? All right. It's his show, after all. It is the Black Tie Podcast, so let's give him what he wants here. He wants some picks. He'll get some picks. Red Challenge Flag Picks. All right. Yes, it's the Red Challenge Flag segment. Uh, thanks for the music there, one-man house band. Dick Banks, this is what we do. Each week we look at the best games on the slate. There are many in Week 11 here. Handsome. And Elliot will go head-to-head. They'll pick their games. But I do have to say quickly, Black Tie, I don't know if you've looked at the latest uh, Dave Damashek football program standings there. Among all of us, uh, our faces are there. Handsome's up there. Black Tie, Elliot, Rank, all of us are up there. And Damashek started the season slowly. Why? Because, you know, it's it's a crapshoot. Who knows who's good or bad? That's impossible. Once the information starts to come in, though, what have I told you? I'm like Neo. I, oh, I need to learn how to fly a helicopter. Upload that program. Boop, boop, boop. That's what the NFL season. The first 10 weeks have been like that. Boop, 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 boop. Now it's in my brain. I'd be surprised if I miss more than two or three games the rest of the way with my picks. Anyway, let's get to your picks. <laughs> and and uh, we'll look at, uh, at the some big divisional games, some big interconference games. Let's start in the NFC East. I said that the Eagles are going to win the division. Big win in Lambeau last week, even though it came at, uh, against uh, Scott Tolzien. Redskins, they lose. Uh, I mean, that was a bad loss for them up in Minnesota last Thursday night. They must win this one. They're in the same spot, 3-6, and six, so they have reason for optimism. They won the division a year ago at 3-6. and six, so, um, so they do have a chance here, but they do have to go into Philly, where the Eagles haven't won a game yet. All that is your backdrop, EH. Lay it on me. Eagles win this game. Redskins hmm. can't stop the pass. Nick Foles isn't throwing any interceptions. He's not giving teams a short field. Philadelphia wins at home. Elliot, the red flag is staying in my pocket. I ah. agree with you. The Eagles are going to win this game. They make a lot of big plays. When they're playing well, they make a lot of big plays. And the Redskins defense give up a lot of big plays. You know what that spells? I don't know what that spells. T R O U B L E. Trouble. Oh, I was I I got lost about halfway through there. I really did. Did when you the play Boggle as a kid? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty I good at tell. Boggle. Okay. Go I ahead. was really good at Boggle myself. Oh, well, that another thing we have in common. Good travel. Do you want to play Boggle, boggle sometimes? Let's play Boggle in a All podcast. Right. Let's play probably in the off season. Let's play competitive <laughs> Boggle on the podcast. Yeah, yes. that's a great idea. Oh, black tie. But you know what he did, which I appreciate too. Sorry to derail the uh, red challenge flag segment. That. No, it's not my way. I'm I'm focused. But listen, I'm I'm not like I'm the opposite of Des Bryant. Always focused right. on the task. What do you think you're doing, Dave? All right, thank you, Hal. <laughs> now listen, Black Tie. He sent an interesting note. Are we going to have our second annual pie off this year? Thanksgiving is fast Ooh. approaching. 
EH, you missed out on it last year. You're more than welcome to join in this year, though. So would I bake a pie? You yep. don't have to bake it, but a, a handsome baked a pie last year and it won. A you know tart. I tried a Texas pie the other day called yeah. uh, it's called something like a strawberry turnover pie. That sounds good. Horrible. That sounds. No, um, the accent didn't sound so good. What's worse, Elliot Harishek or Hank impersonating you? Now, look, impersonating I don't. I don't. I like all I this attention. I, I, I don't I, like I, all I this attention you. on me. I'm too humble for people to be doing impressions of me. That makes me the center of attention. That's where I get uneasy. Michael Lombardi and I. Jones can't wait to get you out here to be a part of these Dallas Cowboys. That was Terrence Newman, right? That's Terrence Newman's impression. Right, that's Terrence Newman's Jerry Jones, and we do need to get a dueling Jerry Jones off between Terrence Newman and Elliot Harrison at some point soon. Um, All right, so so are we going to do the pie off, though? We should definitely do a pie off. Should we do Thanksgiving dinner here? No, let's just do the pie off. I think just the pie. You just have to bring your favorite kind of pie. Your nominee for pie of the year is what you bring in here. If you want to make it with your own mitts, so be it. Handsome. I'm not going to lie. It did go. It did garner a vote from the judge, the one and only judge, me, in uh, in the contest. He, you know, he took the extra time. He made the pie. Duh, uh, I think you ought to have a uh, uh, Ratliff enter it because we fired his ass. What does that even mean? I don't know. All right. So let's move on now. Baltimore Ravens. Here's one of those uh, aforementioned inter, uh, interconference uh, showdowns here. Big game for both teams. Twisting right now. Perilously close to being out of it. Baltimore Ravens at the Chicago Bears. Two flawed teams. Only one will win. Handsome Hank, who will it be? I have picked for this game, Dave. I've picked the Chicago Bears to beat the Baltimore Ravens at Soldier Field. McNown. How say you, E.H.? Yeah, you know, I, I've got a red flag here, Hank. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm uh, squarely pocketing it. I agree ah. with you. I think the Chicago Bears went at home. The Ravens have just been terrible on the road. They've won one game at Miami who really sucks. I'm sorry, Hank, but the Dolphins right. are just stinking it up. Boy, oh, boy. Ray Rice, that offensive line, we talked about it. At Ray Rice has had a horrible, horrible season, averaging under three yards a carry. Well, and, He looks uh, chubby as well. A little bit of he a looks like belly. he spent a little bit of the off season enjoying himself. I know, and I'm not calling him out because I'm sure he's a nice guy, and, and I'd, I'd hate for him to be angry with me. But he looks like he spent a little bit too much time. You know, we re- we thought that the Ravens relaxing. road win in Miami was at least a semi quality win, and the Dolphins are just looking horrible. Wow, they listen. The wheels are off now. I mean, they're in real trouble now. That was a big game for them. Had they won that, for for better or worse. This is the way society goes now. You know, they, you always hear winning fixes everything. It wouldn't fix everything. But if the Dolphins had won that game, I bet you uh, we would have been like, well, that's kind of the incognito mess is a little bit now in the rearview mirror. It's not that big a deal. That's that's the way I think collectively our brains sort of operate. Like, all right, so that's done with now. It's now going to linger, though. It's going to linger. Now but it's look, lingering. They beat the Bengals, you know, 10 days earlier on, on Thursday Night Football. They got the charges coming in there. I... I agree. They looked terrible on Monday night, but that was with they were in the eye of the storm. Then I think that that um, you know, providing the NFL doesn't suddenly rule on this thing on Friday and bring it right back into the spotlight, I'd like to see um, how they do against the Chargers. Maybe that'll be a game that Dave um, asks us to pick. I'd like I'm to doing see how it they now. Do. Quiet down. I'd like <laughs> to see how they how they do against the Chargers before before we say it's done. 
I suspect it probably is done, but I'd like to see how they do. Okay, I'm going to say right now, the San Diego Chargers beat the Miami Dolphins on the road. I think the Chargers. I, he a just sent me. All, he set me up though. Handsome did. He said like, uh, oh, there was a storm and everything else. I was just saying, there's a lightning storm coming into town. Oh, Name the San Diego oh, Chargers. Oh. Um, all right, so it's the Chargers. You say the Chargers. I are say gonna the win. Chargers are going to win. Da- um, Dave, red flag. Oh, in pocket. Oh, I, I also, he's touting his team. I'm and not then he touting goes my team. I said I would like to see what happens. My suspicion, as I just said, I, is that they're going to win the game. I'll, the say this, I'll say this in the Dolphins' defense. In, in all defense the, or defense? Both. In all the coverage of the incognito Martin issue, one thing that just didn't get mentioned very often was the fact that the Dolphins were down a tackle on a guard. Right. Next game. Talk about the upside-downedness of the AFC North. The Bengals, I figured, would be good. But if the if you're right that the Ravens lose and the Browns will beat the Bengals now, it'll be the Ravens in third place and the Steelers in fourth place looking up at the Browns and Bengals. It will officially be the apocalypse. Now, with that being said, handsome, Cleveland Browns at the Cincinnati Bengals. Too much orange, too much Ohio. How say you? I, I agree with you on both of those points. Um, I th- I have picked the Cincinnati Bengals to win this game. I don't really believe in my pick, but I've got to. I've got to. Uh, you've got a, a little bit like I said with the Dolphins. I think you've got to give the Bengals one more week to to come good before you could say again they they may be done. Jason Campbell's hard to root against. He's been knocked around a little bit. I feel like he didn't get a proper chance, or at least no. as much as a lot of other guys have been given in their careers. And uh, and and so I kind of find myself, so, you know, vaguely kind of rooting for Jason Campbell. E. H. I'll say. Yeah, I, I've got to keep with the theme of our segment, which is uh, I agree with you, bud. Uh, I, I don't I don't see Cincinnati uh, losing this game. Jason Campbell has played wonderfully, and he's not a runner. He's not a runner, but when he needs to get out of the pocket and make a play, he can do that, and he's done that the last couple of weeks. I just I like the Bengals at home. I think this is the classic kind of game that Cincinnati wins. They're going to win this game at home. People are going to start talking about them again. Ultimately, they're going to pretty pretty much go 10-6, and, and yeah. they're going to lose in the playoffs. Yeah, they're definitely like first-round playoff gone. Yeah, they may get past the wild card game because they may not have to play it. They won't year, have to but, play the Texans. But, at least we're not going to have to snooze gonna through gonna have to a to, Saturday oh, afternoon game against Houston. Of JJ Watt swatting a Dalton ball up in the air like a lame duck. And yeah. then going, it's yeah. not right to say I had high hopes, but I'm I feel let down that I've been touting this team for a year now, and they're just going to be a, a decent. Uh, yeah. They're going to be a good, but not a, a great. They're team. about the same as they were last year. You're reflecting badly on me, Bengals. That's what I'm saying. All right, next game is the San Francisco 49ers off of a surprising to me. I thought the Panthers would show up and everything, but I did expect the Niners to get that one at home coming off the bye. Instead, they lose it. Now they're 6-3, and three, going into the Superdome to play the 7-2 and two Saints. EH, how say you? I'm taking the Saints in this game. Uh, the 49ers look out of sync. I mean, I'd love to pick them here, but Colin Kaepernick just doesn't look to be playing well to me. I think he's going to have to run for them to win this game. I like the Saints at home. And the way the Saints secondary is playing, if you've seen how woeful the 49ers passing game is, forget it, Saints. Yeah, uh, handsome. A lot of gold in that game as well. If you're yeah, you're right. About, you're a right. lot of gold there, um, but no red flags. Ah, uh, well done. Well done. Thank you. Good word play. Thank you. I remember when I think of Bill Walsh and Joe Montana first getting to San Francisco, for some reason I've seen the highlights of one game in the stick when the Saints went in there when they used to wear their black pants with the gold stripe on it. Yeah. That was a that was their best. Both, both NFC West teams. Yeah. They yeah do you know why you always, do you know why you always see that game? 
Is that what Joe Montana came? It was like twenty eight, twenty seven, or it, something it like was, that. It was his second year. They hadn't really decided on him completely. Deberg had been their starter. Right. The Saints got up thirty five to seven. That's right. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Uh, third quarter, and the Niners came back and beat them. It used to be the biggest comeback in in uh, league history. So everybody's in lockstep. You know, if you're right that the Niners are going to lose this game, and I agree, the Saints are nearly unbeatable in New Orleans. If they do, they're six and four. And if the Bears win and the Packers win, all of a sudden you're ca- and the and the Panthers win, you're suddenly in a spot where you, the Niners really might not yeah. make the playoffs, which is crazy to think. They still have to play the Seahawks. It's in the stick, but you know that the way the Seahawks have looked so far this season, you could kind of make a case that the Niners are going to miss the playoffs if they lose this game. You could do, and I agree with Elliot. I think we need to see something a lot better from Colin Kaepernick. All right, speaking of the Panthers, a big one on Monday night. You know, the Monday night slate has not been especially uh, captivating over the last six weeks or so. The New England Patriots, though, coming off the bye, going into Carolina. Who would have circled this one as a as a game? The Panthers now are supposed to win this one, right? Handsome, who you got? I'm actually going to echo Elliot here in a way. I think I'm going to pick the Panthers, and I'll tell you why. I think um, I think New England's had you know two weeks coming off of a bye. They've had a lot of time to prepare for Carolina. I think Carolina needs to put this game. This could be. Cam Newton, I mean, he's had a coming out party. He's been having one for two years. This is squarely on Cam Newton's shoulders. I think they need to ask him to run the ball. I think they need to ask him to win the game for them, and I think he will do it. E-H. They have the defense to do it. I'm agreeing with Hank. No red flag. I'm taking Carolina at home. What is that? Why can't you guys appease me? Why can't you just pick just Give for us... my pleasure? I like when you go against each other. Well, I, I tell you what. I want to I wanna just ask you guys this. Did you guys watch Cowboys Saints? Yes. Okay. Lost in the blowout was the fact that the Saints at halftime, because you're talking about classic Saints look. Yeah, but uh, Handsome, Handsome missed. DH started the podcast by letting uh, the Cowboys off the hook because they had injuries in a game that they I lost. I did not they let lost, them off. They that lost 49-17. I did not let them off the hook <laughs> at all. If it weren't for Sean Lee going out, it uh, might have been 3-2-17. I never said that. So lo- know, lost, in the entire, lost in the entire game was the fact that the Saints honored Archie Manning, uh, Ricky Jackson, and Willie Rofe at halftime. Mm-hmm. So that gets their ring of honor started, okay? So now they're going to end up probably doing one guy every couple of years. That makes no sense. You take the three best guys in your team history and make them all be honored on the same night where they can barely talk because you only have so much time at halftime. you got to clear off. Players got to get in the locker room. You rush the guys out there and you rush them off. And now they're going to end up having some spare that they put in the ring of honor, like Joe Horn, not a spare, but, you know, and he's going to get the whole stage to himself. Pat Swilling's next, right? Yeah, That's an interesting point. I just don't understand that. Like, why would you – I just caught that when I was watching the game. I'm like, dude, those are three – I mean, great. Do one now. You have, yeah, if you're if, if, if practically speaking, you're all these teams have marketing departments. You could pace it out. Now you have halftime activity for three games right. instead yes. of just one. But it's also a sad statement that uh, those are the three best players in Saints history. Okay, maybe so, but but <laughs> Rolf, certifiable Hall right, of Famer, Ricky yep. Jackson, Hall of Famer. I mean, come on. I know, but still, those are your three best in history. Yeah, you've been living well as a Cowboys fan. Handsome, you've lived well as a Dolphins fan. I've lived well as a Steelers fan. This is how the other half Dave Damashek's top three Steelers in order. I want to know. Mean Joe Green. That's and one. I can't even say that I watched him in his prime, but I know the significance he played in developing the steel curtain and the rise and the the uh, the attitude and the and the intimidation factor and <clears throat> everything pivoted off of uh, Mean Joe Green in, in the in the seventies. Two 
Rod Woodson should really be up there, but he doesn't. He didn't. He was in the in the in between space where he never really won a. You know, he was in the Super Bowl against the Cowboys, like we talked about with him when he was in here a couple weeks ago. I gotta say, you know what, Jack Ham. <clears throat> no, I go. I, I I know Jack Ham, but I'm gonna go Jack Lambert over him. I just, okay. I, you know, again, because he meant, you know, it's what he means beyond just his deeds on the gridiron. It was the attitude that he emitted. It defined. The, it defined the team and ultimately the style of football. And anybody who came into town recognized that they had to play that guy, the middle linebacker who would beat you up if you badmouthed anybody on his team. I like Mel Blunt was great. Franco Harris is slept on. Terry Bradshaw is underrated, but he's not even their best quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger is the greatest quarterback in franchise history. Those would be the names I would consider. Okay. And Jack Ham deserves to be. All right, there. so if you have if you have Joe Green, Lambert, and Mel Blunt as right. your top three Steelers, do you want to honor them all on the same night? I mean, or, or do you just do one at a time? I right? follow your point. All right, so everybody's going Panthers here, and I'll say this. Cam Newton, what like you say, handsome, is uh, the, the point is, with Jonathan Stewart coming back, and, man, he's one of those guys who run, who runs hard. He delivers he a, a lot bigger than doesn't he used he del- to. He's one of those he, guys he was, who delivers a blow yeah. at the end of every run. Right. And I don't think the Patriots are built to handle something like that. Then on top of it, you have D'Angelo Williams. They're finally back there. They might Talbot be. as well. Six years ago or five years ago. I mean, I don't know. Jonathan Stewart's in the league now, maybe five, six years. But where, that was maybe the first team that really had the uh, the thunder and lightning thing in this new uh, wave of running back block by platoon. And now you have D'Angelo Williams scoring the decisive touchdown in the stick, and you have the hammer, Jonathan Stewart. Back in Tolbert is the kind of do-everything guy. I, I Yeah, I, I think that the, the Patriots' defensive weakness is stopping the run. The Panthers mm-hmm. could really hammer them with that. Um, last game, the game of the week on Sunday night, the KC Chiefs, who apparently 90% of analysts aren't impressed by, even though they're 9-0. and By hook or by crook, they're 9-0. and Who cares how they got there? They're going in to play a limping Peyton Manning, 8-1, and one, in mile high, E-H, how say you? Taking Denver in this game, sim- very simple. They're the home team. I-, I like Denver to quiet down for Peyton, make it noisy for Alex Smith, and I think Denver wins just by virtue being at home. Handsome? They, the Chiefs play in red. Mm-hmm. But I'm not throwing that red oh, flag. Oh, you already gosh. went to that. Now it's lame. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, no, I, I, um, I li- look. I'm not certainly not writing off the Chiefs by any uh, by any stretch. I think their defense is formidable. I think they'll give Peyton Manning a hard time. But I think in Denver, that's a tough that's a tough ask for them. I don't think the Broncos have looked as mighty recently. They're they're they're, they're they they they. they, they Early on, the first month, you thought who would ever who's ever going to hang with this team, but they've they're they're coming back a little bit to the pack. But that sometimes happens with a team that sets our expectations with that you know that op- the the opening game. Your expectations are so vast for I them suppose. every time they go out onto the field. You know, I think you may have written in in the power rankings this week that Peyton Manning throws for four touchdowns and three hundred and thirty yards. Um, on the road in San Diego, and we all kind of shrug and go, ah, that's what he does. All right, Should've I'm blowing done. through him. Here we go. Lions win in Pittsburgh. Buccaneers, two in a row. They're going to beat the Falcons in Tampa Bay. Arizona at the Jags. The Cardinals continue to move towards the playoffs. That's another team that might uh, jump right over them uh, 49ers if they ain't careful. Redskins at Eagles. It's the Eagles. The Raiders are at the Texans. I'm going to take the Texans. Ravens at Bears. I think the Ravens are going to win that game. The Jets are at the Bills. I'm picking the Bills in that game. How about that? The Browns at the Bengals. Bengals 
Bolts at Dolphins. It's going to be the Chargers winning that one. Seahawks win at home easily against the Vikings. Packers at the Giants. This one is close, but the Packers win it. Niners at Saints. Boy, I'm gonna. you know what? I'm doing it. I'm taking the Niners. How about that after everything I just said? They're not going to miss the playoffs. Chiefs at Broncos. Broncos win because it's at home. Patriots at Panthers. I'll take the Patriots. They always win. The then listen, they're seven and two. Whatever we point out, they're going to end up winning and being one of the top two seeds in the AFC. We're just kidding ourselves. Interesting thing I heard that for what this is worth in the NBA, the only two teams that when 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 you disregard talent that have an unusually high winning percentage season in and season out, Utah. And Denver. Why? Because they play in that thin air. That is a legitimate. That's not a myth. That's a legitimate uh, home field advantage when you play in thin air like that. In fact, that's a good question for Heath Evans or someone else next time we do Inside Out is how much does that impact you once the game gets going. All right. So speaking of Heath Evans, thanks to him for joining us. Thanks to Black Tie. Handsome Hank, thanks for jumping in here. EH, a pleasure as always. Go start making a pie. Figure out what your flavor is going to be. Last year, mine was pecan pie. I don't know. This year, it might be a custard pie. It might be a coconut cream pie. I don't know what it's going to be. That's what's part of the excitement of the great pie Are you going to bake your own, though? Well, I know. I'm not a baker. I'm a soup man. I know how to make great soups and sauces. That's my area of expertise. Okay. No application when it comes to the pie, uh, to the pie off. We should I'll have buy. a soup off. We should have a Super Bowl. Ooh. You know what? I got a lot of a lot of people tweeted me that Sporty Simmons and his gang over at Grantland, because, you know, I like to rank stupid things like soups and sauces mm-hmm. and everything else. I've they did a Super Bowl, and, oh, boy, the Twitter, the small little portion of Twitter hit me up. Oh, they stole your idea. They stole your idea. I don't I don't think Sporty Simmons stole from me. But, I, uh, wait, 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 wait. I but he does like that. to analyze Super Bowl. He does. Did, okay, so we can't do that. We did get a tweet saying Simmons all of a sudden has been claiming to be the body language expert. I and, saw that one too. And this goes back to my college days once I once had a blog that was titled Bill Simmons Steals My Thoughts. So <laughs> I'm onto that Simmons guy, man. I am onto him. He just keeps snagging up stuff and this, you know, he's created Grantland, that whole empire. That was his idea as I well, just, websites. Yeah, well guess what? Damashek gets the last laugh because uh, he and I went head to head in fantasy football this weekend and on the strength of Pierre Thomas's two touchdowns on Sunday night, uh, I I, uh, I defeated you him. You should ask him as a as a as a um victory prize, you he should give TD back or black tie back all of his ideas all of his ideas at least at least the top two dozen at least the top two dozen ideas he stole and at the very least the body language expertise it's also a shame too because now he is bereft of any ideas so they all obviously were stolen by Simmons some Mm -hmm. years ago and now here we are with black tie who who you know comes up with the body language analysis once a which was fantastic it really was my number one goal was to uh, work on my body language who was that Brandon Marshall. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's expanded now. Word is out that in pro football, when Black Tie decides to put his gaze on your body language, you know, it's going to say a lot about you, your future prospects, and your team's future I, prospects. I truly but. believe this offseason Black Tie will, will work with some players in the same way that Jay Glazer does in a sort of MMA way. Black Tie is going to be showing them how to comport themselves. Well, that's got to be – I'm not kidding – the next player who comes in here, the active player, Black Tie, has to, like, l- l- we have to do We can it. work on your body language, show some video, explain yeah. what they're not doing Bring well. Bring it down, like, some X and O's. Some Madden, some Madden Telestrator action. Yeah. Like, see, look at your head you angle here. I don't like that. You need some pep steps, son. <laughs> All right, that'll be terrific. Okay, so that 
Is that for the for the week leading into week 11? Best wishes to your team unless they're playing my team. We'll talk about all of week 11 and look ahead to week 12 when we speak next early in the week. Until then, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.